You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Osteoporosis, major health concern for women, but what about for men? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, your host, and I'm delighted to welcome in with me today Dr. Murray Favis, Professor of Medicine and Director of the Bone Program at the University of Chicago in Chicago, Illinois. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Favis. Thank you. In evaluating for osteoporosis and osteopenia, uh, bone densitometry seems to be the gold standard. Would you agree with that? Yes, bone density scanning remains the uh, gold standard for identifying people with low bone mass and an increase in fracture risk. There's a, a number of very interesting technical developments in the field for imaging bone and uh, learning new ways to analyze bone for its strength from images. But uh, all that is down the road several years, and so we're still using DEXA scans as our uh, major way of assessing patients. Well, that's very interesting, though, that there are some ways of looking at uh, bone quality, it sounds like, as well as the actual density. Yes. In fact, one of the uh, scanners now, the uh, GE Lunar Scanner, uh, has software that can uh, begin to estimate the strength of the femoral neck by estimating the cross-sectional area on the shaft of the uh, femoral neck. And the engineers who've gotten interested in this uh, issue of bone quality and bone strength have made some real strides, and I think that that might well become available to us as another tool to assess fracture risk uh, in the next few years. Well, that's very exciting. It might really change uh, treatment guidelines and how we think about this. Are other modalities helpful in regard to the quality of the bone, CT or MRI or other things? The research applying high-resolution CT and uh, MRI to uh, bone are well underway, and there's some very exciting advances in that area. But uh, the standard CT scanners and MRIs are just not yet at the point where they're going to uh, quantify the bone for us and take it to another level of giving us uh, that added information we want about bone strength. Very interesting. But today, in, in 2007, uh, we look at bone mineral density. And are there any important guidelines or suggestions you would give to primary care doctors about DEXA scanning? Well, I think we're getting to the point where we should act on our instincts. We should look at men when we see them, and we may see them for a whole variety of reasons, uh, other medical conditions, yearly exams and such. It would be very good if we were to take the time to ask them four or five simple questions that would give us a very good idea about their long-term fracture risk. And one can reel these off very quickly. Have you had a fracture since you're 40 years old that's not been related to a motor vehicle accident? Is there a family history of fracture? Uh, That is, did your mother have a hip fracture? Is your calcium intake uh, more than 1,000 milligrams a day, or how has it been over the years? Do you smoke cigarettes? Is your body weight under 125 pounds? very quickly you can get an idea about some risk here. Is there, um, we, we should already know their medication, so if they're taking steroids, we would already know that they're at risk uh, mm-hmm. by virtue of, their, of long-term steroid therapy, for example. They have a history of uh, infertility, uh, loss of libido, loss of body hair, anything that would suggest uh, a decline or loss of testosterone production we should immediately 
link that thought with uh, bone loss and, mm-hmm. and fracture risk. And then kidney stones, uh, do you consider that also something? Yes. Most of the kidney stones occur in men. Some 70 to 80 percent of kidney stones are predominantly calcium. Hypercalcuria is uh, the single most common entity that causes calcium kidney stones. So if we see a man with calcium kidney stones, we should quantify the urine calcium. If it's high, we should think about their bone mass as well as how we're going to prevent stone recurrence. Excellent. And and the uh, question about calcium intake, uh, most of my male patients can't remember what they had for dinner uh, yesterday. Um, are there any uh, things that you use to, to give them guidelines about how to quantify their calcium? Well, although calcium intake is a hard sell with girls and children and uh, adolescent in their early adult years, uh, uh, the young girls are notorious for uh, avoiding dairy products and having a low-calcium diet, but just the opposite is true in uh, boys and young men. Boys tend to associate uh, milk uh, with being athletic, and therefore uh, often you'll get a history of good milk intake in, uh, in young boys through their teenage years into their early adult years. But then the question is what happens after they're in their 20s or, and such, and it often uh, their dairy intake falls off pretty dramatically. So we should ask about milk and cheese, uh, ice cream, and, and other uh, non-dairy calcium sources, I imagine. Yeah, I think it's actually pretty simple. An 8-ounce glass of milk contains 300 milligrams of calcium. Mm-hmm. And so I think of servings of dairy products in 300 milligram segments or servings. Uh, for instance, a serving of yogurt is about 300 milligrams. 8-ounce glass of calcium-fortified orange juice is about 300 milligrams glass of milk, whether it's skim milk or 2% or whole milk, it's all about 300 milligrams. So if you just ask them, uh, do you drink milk? The answer is yes. Uh, How many glasses a day do you eat yogurt? The only other thing is to ask, do you eat Parmesan cheese or mozzarella cheese? Those are uh, Parmesan, an ounce of Parmesan is almost 300 milligrams of calcium, and mozzarella is about like a half a glass of milk as far as uh, calcium. So you can get a the history pretty quickly. Very good. So those are five good questions. Uh, non-traumatic fracture since 40, the family history, calcium intake, smoking, weight under 125, and then, as you said, attention to signs or, or symptoms suggesting hypogonadism and, and kidney stones. You're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and I'm speaking with Dr. Murray Favis, Professor of Medicine and Director of the Bone Program at the University of Chicago, and we are discussing evaluation of men for osteopenia and osteoporosis. How important is it, Dr. Favis, that the DEXA scans be done on the same machine or by the same technologist in order to follow bone densities? Yes, well, you've uh, hit on a very critical issue, and I hope our doctors will uh, really latch on to your comment. It's extremely important to follow a patient using the same DEXA scanner. Scanners are very sensitive instruments. They can be very reproducible, but if you go from one scanner to another, you may introduce a a variability that might be as large as the amount of bone change you might be expecting with your treatments. So uh, the best advice is for the doctor to um, become familiar with uh, someone who's managing a, a DEXA scanner who you have confidence in in terms of quality control. Perhaps you would look for uh, a scanner set up where maybe they have only one or two people, one or two technicians who do the scan so that there's some uniformity of approach to doing the scan. 
and analyzing it. And after maybe uh, some discussion about uh, reproducibility and such with uh, the doctor who's responsible for the scanner, uh, you can make a decision about where you want your patients uh, to have their scans. If we do have a male patient who has some bone loss, what is the frequency that we should follow them with serial DEXA scans? Well, if you decide to treat, if you're um, impressed with the uh, uh, extent of the bone loss and the fracture risk, then uh, an interval of about every 12 months is a convenient uh, length of time because one can certainly early on in your following the patient, uh, you'll get a sense of uh, whether this is changing or whether it's static and has perhaps been at this level uh, for quite some time. And that's typical of men who come out of families where there's a history of osteoporosis. Uh, Those men, having inherited osteoporosis, will have a lower peak bone mass. They don't reach the predicted levels of uh, bone mass in their early mid-20s that we would predict for them. And so they run low all the way through their early and middle adult years and come into their 50s and 60s and 70s already low and having been low their entire adult life. But they're probably not changing so much until they probably get into their 60s and 70s and such. And an interval of about a year would be sufficient to see any significant change. Yes. Uh, so from one or two of those measurements, uh, maybe 12 months apart, you'll get an idea of whether bone density is stable or whether they're drifting downwards and you'll then be prompted to uh, intervene with some uh, therapies. Is there any role in evaluation of osteoporosis in men for urinary uh, markers of bone turnover? Yes, certainly. Uh, we use uh, bone turnover markers. I've been uh, now uh, using some of the serum turnover markers. They tend to be more reproducible, and they vary in a more vibrant way. In other words, they go through a broader range of change so that you can pick up uh, high levels, and then you can see how they come down with effective therapy. So measurements like uh, serum osteocalcin or serum BSAP, uh, bone-specific alkaline phosphatase, the new one now that is going to be more generally available is the serum CTX, It looks like an excellent measure of bone turnover. These markers uh, give us an added dimension of information about the bone. It gives you complementary information uh, to the uh, DEXA scan. So the DEXA scan tells you how much bone a person has at any one point in time. And then the markers give you the element of which direction things may be going. And these are not thrown off by variable exercise at one week to the next or other stress on the bones? No, they're uh, fairly reproducible. They're not subject to change uh, necessarily with diet or they're best measured uh, in the first part of the day. They don't have to be fasting necessarily, but uh, one should do them the same time of day. There is some evidence for a diurnal variation of the markers. And any other tests that we should be aware of that might help us in evaluating this problem? There's a whole group of patients, a group of men who uh, we haven't mentioned yet, and that is men who um, have become hypogonadal for uh, uh, reasons, perhaps surgery or uh, various therapies, chemotherapy in the course of treating cancers that might have uh, abolished uh, testosterone production And in those men, uh, of course, we want to provide follow-up bone density measurements and such. We should measure uh, fasting serum calcium and uh, vitamin D levels, the 25-hydroxy vitamin D levels in men who we suspect of having low bone mass uh, 
or who were found to have low bone mass and were looking into the cause. Hypercalcemia from primary hyperparathyroidism does occur in men less frequently than in women, but nevertheless, it's a cause of bone loss in men. And uh, low vitamin D levels now are very common in the general population in both men and women and in all racial and ethnic groups that have been looked at in this country. So about half of the postmenopausal women have low vitamin D levels and are taking inadequate amounts of vitamin D. Uh, and the estimates among men are around 50% also, maybe not quite as low as that, but very significant. I want to thank Dr. Murray Fabus, who has been our guest as we've been discussing the evaluation of osteopenia and osteoporosis in men. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.